Hello, and welcome to the Living Word Pensacola podcast. Here you will find teaching from our weekly services where we focus on developing a Christ-centered life. We are delighted you have chosen to spend time with us today, and we know today's message has the power to help you grow with your faith journey. So, let's turn our hearts and our minds to God's Word as we begin today's episode. Hallelujah. There's times where we have to choose to celebrate. We have to choose to be happy. We have to choose to see the bright side. You know, this last couple of days, I've had a couple of situations where I, you know, am trying to do something good, right? And it, you show up and you're like, the customer service level in places right now is ridiculously low, right? And you feel justified in getting frustrated. And my patience has been tested several times in the last couple of days. And even again this morning, you know, I went to Walmart. My patience was tested at Walmart. Shocker. I know you all are so shocked and slightly amazed that I, my patience was tested at Walmart. But I was walking out of Walmart today and I thought, Lord, this world is out to try to get me out of joy, to take me out of the place of happiness. My family is here. My family's healthy and whole. We are celebrating my Savior's birth. This is a wonderful celebratory time of year, right? And immediately after the icing on the cake, the cherry on the milkshake is, is that we get to celebrate Jennifer's birthday next week. I mean, it's like, it's like, man, if it couldn't get any better, boom, there, Jennifer. Happy birthday. Yep, yep. Jennifer's turned 30 this year, so happy 30. Amen. All right, now let's get into the word and the spirit. And let's repent. And let's repent. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But happiness, faith, joy, the gifts of the spirit, the things of the kingdom are just as much a choice as anything else. Right? I tell you, just tell my kids this all the time. I can choose to be mad just as easily as I can choose to be happy. Choose joy, choose life, choose happiness. We choose how we respond to what's going on. This world isn't necessarily going to change. It's going to continue to get worse because sin is reigning supreme and sin is bringing death and we're we're walking around with a bunch of miserable people. That's what I'm realizing is happening. I'm experiencing other people's misery. They're trying to pull me to their level of misery, therefore taking me out of the place of joy that I was walking in and I refuse to let it happen. I refuse to let it happen. I refuse to let people pull me down into a place of misery, right? But over this past year, we've been examining a lot of truths and a lot of things. But this morning, I want to talk about this, that, that story that, that Aiden read, this greatest story ever told of our Savior coming to this earth, being born of the Virgin Mary, paving a way for our eternal salvation. This is a choice to believe. This is something I choose to believe. And we've been talking about core foundations. We started when we moved into this building talking about what we believe as a church. And we've been shaking things up a little bit talking about why do we do what we do, right? It will ultimately boils down to this. What is true? What is truth? 
I found this interesting. I actually already had this in my notes and then Brock brought it up the other night when we were all sitting around talking, but truth and, and there, the, the political scheme nowadays is the, the word gaslighting is becoming very popular, right? We're gaslighting people. In other words, we are so loud and aggressive with our thought and agenda and whatever that we're basically forcing it on you. It's called gaslighting. We're going to force our opinion on you and it just by loudness and aggression that they're not, doesn't have to be any truth behind what we say. We don't have to prove anything. We're just going to force it on you by, by being the loudest voice in the room and the most aggressive, right? And so it came up a conversation where I asked Brock about separation of church and state, this whole, this whole thing about separation of church and state. Most Christians are in one of two schools of thought. The first school of thought is they were thinking that this is in the Constitution or it's an amendment to the Constitution where there has to be a separation of church and state, right? There's school thought one, which, by the way, is wrong. Then there's school of thought, too, where people are like, well, I know it's not in the Constitution, but it was in it was in something written by a famous person. Right. And it was talking about separation of church and state. Right. So that so that the church doesn't tell the government how to make laws. And that, again, is wrong. But most people have no idea the concepts because most people just take truth as presented to them. What I found out, even my own kids who thought it was in the Constitution, that there's a separation between church and state. Right, realizing that that gaslighting or that forcing of agenda is going into the schools, is going everywhere because they figure if they can get our kids, they can change the future, which is true. If we allow them to have control over our kids, that's what they're going after right now as the kids. They won't have it. But I find this interesting. So most people don't have understanding. So let's let's go back into what actually happened. So what happened was is the Danbury Baptist Association actually wrote a letter to the president voicing their concern about the state constitution lacking specific protections for religious freedoms. So they wrote this letter because they were concerned. They stated in their letter, what religious privileges we enjoy as a minor part of the state, we enjoy as favors granted, not inalienable rights. And these favors we receive are at the expense of such degrading acknowledgments and as inconsistent with the rights of free men. So they were writing a letter to the government saying, look, our rights as religious freedoms are just some favor handed out by the government. We're not protected, right? Then there was a letter written from Thomas Jefferson, president at the time, back to the Danbury Association, which is where we get the phrase separation of church and state is in this letter. What Jefferson said, this was in 1802, what he said to them was this, I contemplate with sovereign reverence the act of the whole American people, which we declared at the legislature should make no law respecting establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, thus building a wall of separation between church and state. What he was saying with the wall of church and state was that the government has no authority to tell the church what to do. That's where that letter came from. Complete opposite of what most people think, but they don't know their history. They don't know what's true how many churches do we have today that are preaching things that are believing things that do things in their church services just because it's tradition and not based off truth what is truth and you have to make this determination in your heart and it's going to be very important moving forward into 2024 and 2025 into the turn of the the, the quarter century here i mean we're we're in a pivotal time in history pivotal am i saying that right pivotal not pivotable, pivotal, got it, a pivotal time in history. This is a very crucial time that we have to know what 
is truth, and we have to build our life on that. That is the rock and foundation in which we build our homes because these storms are going to get worse and worse and worse. There's a reason we've seen an upturn of hurricanes in the south. There's a reason we've seen an upturn. There's another huge earthquake in China that killed thousands of people. There's a reason we're seeing wars and rumors of wars. There's a reason we're seeing this world going the direction that it is because we are in the end times. And our rock, our foundation, our stability of our hope, our joy, our our peace of mind, our freedom, all comes from knowing the truth. What is the truth? And see, truth is not relative. Truth does not change if you choose to believe it or not believe it. Truth does not change even if you choose to call the truth false and false truth. Does not change the truth. All right? So what is the truth? Do you know that the Bible describes the truth as not only the Father but the Son that the Holy Spirit? Right? Psalms 119, 142. Your righteousness is an everlasting righteousness. Your law is truth. You are near, O Lord, and your commandments are truth. God is truth. What he says is true. He says, I am God and I cannot lie, right? The devil is called the father of lies, which is the opposite of truth. So anyone who is trying to bring out a lie is not necessarily possessed by the devil, but is yielding to the devil's kingdom right? John 14, 6 says, Jesus said unto them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus said, I'm the truth, right? How do we know he's the truth? Well, we know he's the truth because exactly what it said in one, Psalms 119, right? Your law is truth. Your commandments are truth. And what do we know about Jesus? Jesus was the word who became flesh, right? So if he was the word of God that became flesh and, Jesus, and God's word is truth, then Jesus is truth because he's the word made flesh and dwelt among us, right? Then what does it say about the Holy Spirit? In John 16, 13, however, when he, the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. In other words, when he leads you and guides you and directs you, he's going to lead you, guide you, and direct you into truth, which is the word of the Father who became flesh and dwelt among us, Right? He will guide you into all things because he does not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will also speak and tell you things to come. How many want to know things to come? I want to know what's going to happen in the future. I want to know the direction God wants my life to take. I want to know what business I'm supposed to open, where I'm supposed to work, if I'm supposed to work, how much money I'm supposed to give to the kingdom because my life is not my own, but my life is his. Who I'm supposed to marry. All the, I want to know the things to come. I want he, him to show me the things to come. Now, the Christmas story and the truth about Jesus. Today is obviously our Christmas Eve service. So let's look at this. 1 John 1.10. 1 John, or I'm sorry, John 1.10, not 1 John 1.10. John 1.10. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. Okay? So this was talking about Jesus was made, uh, the, the world was made through him, but it did not know him. It had no relationship with him. And it came, he, came to, uh, he came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received Jesus, or received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name, okay? So Jesus was sent as the son into this world, 100% God and 100% man, to show us we can live the Christian life as a man. 
Jesus did it as a man. How do we know that? Because before he stepped into his ministry, he went and got baptized by John, right? The Holy Spirit descended like a dove. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, he lived as a man filled with the Spirit to produce gifts and things on this earth. That he was showing us this is the pattern he wants us to take. We are to get saved, filled with the Holy Spirit, and then walk it out. But he's showing us you can do this as a man. You can resist temptation as a man. You can preach as a man. You can see the, the blind eyes opened. You can see the deaf ears here. You can see miraculous things happen. You can operate in the gifts and callings of God as a man filled with the Holy Spirit. He showed us it could happen, right? And then he gave us the right, which means the power, the authority, the liberty, the strength to become children of God if we believe in his name. Now that word become means transform. Meta, it's, like a, it's, a, it's a version of metamorphosis, right? It's changing from the inside to the outside, allowing your spirit man to govern what you think, say, and do, to change who you are as a person, to govern your soul, your mind, will, and emotions, and govern your body, your fleshly desires, and worldly things. Allowing you to be spirit first, to then transform into a son of God. Now, most don't understand what being a son means. In Psalms 8, 4, it says, What is a man that you are mindful of him, a son of man that you visit him? You have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. He, he's talking about this, man, you've done this, for, you've done this for humanity. You've done this for a man. You've crowned him with glory and honor. And, and when we become sons of God, it also says, that we were talking about Corinthians and other places, that when in, in the day that is to come, we are going to be sons of God, not servants like the angels. We will actually rule and reign over the angels. That's what the Bible says. We will command the angels. Now, it says in verse 13, back in, in John 1, 10, or John 1, verse 13, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. See, this new birth, this transformation is only something that God can do. Then it says here in verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten father, full of grace and truth. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, a story of Mary, right? I couldn't tell you the number of memes I've seen about Mary, right? To the whole Mary, Mary, did you know that your baby? People are like, yes, yes, she knew because the angel showed up and told her. You know, I mean, what kind of silly song is this? You see all these crazy Christmas memes and everything going around. But there's a reason why this story's in the Bible. And it's for more than what people think it is. Let's go there. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin. Do you know in all the stories of the New Testament, her reference to being a virgin, there's like 16 different times they told us she was a virgin. They really, really wanted us to know that she was a virgin. I mean, this is in here a lot. They wanted us to know this, and there's a reason they wanted us to know this, okay? To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph in the house of David. That is also important because it's setting up the lineage, because it was prophesied in the Old Testament that the Savior would come from the house of David. So it's actually proven, and you can read in the beginning of Matthew, the lineage of how it went from David all the way to Jesus, including, which I find is fantastic in that whole lineup, was Rahab the harlot. So it doesn't matter where you've been, it's matter how you'll let God use you. But that's a whole nother sermon for a whole nother day. Now, 
to a virgin from the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. Verse 28, having come in, the angel said to her, rejoice, highly favored one, for the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. When she saw him, she was troubled, right? At his saying and said, what manner of greeting was this? In other words, this guy's really trying to hype me up. What is happening here? What kind of greeting is this? Verse 30, then the angel said to her, do not be afraid. I find it interesting. Every time an angel appears in the Bible, they immediately follow it with do not be afraid. In other words, people must freak out when they see angels, right? Because they are giant things with eminent power and glory, which makes me think if we're going to be ruling, commanding the angels, the state that we are supposed to live and operate in should be intimidating to others. But people don't walk in the authority that God's given them. They don't understand what being son means because they never allowed the transformation of power of God to change their life. We're getting ahead of ourselves here. Now, when she saw him, she was troubled. In verse 30, the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and you shall call him Jesus or uh, it's actually Yeshua. And he will be great, and he will be the son of the highest. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, verse 34, How can this be, since I have not known a man? That word know means to have an intimate relationship with, right? Because when there is that level of intimacy, something is produced. If something is not produced, it means something's wrong on one side or the other, which is now a national pandemic of, of sorts of the number of people going through infertility treatments that are dealing with pregnancy issues. I mean, it is becoming more common. I remember when I was a kid, it was rare. I mean, you didn't, you didn't hear about it a whole lot, right? You, you mostly heard about it, well, you know, they came back from the honeymoon pregnant. I mean, there was not a whole lot of issues, you know, they're having a baby right out the gate. You know, it was, that was a lot more common and nowadays, because, and they're tracing it to a lot of different things, and again, another rabbit trail we don't want to go down, but there's a lot of infertility problems out there because the devil is coming against the family. That's the ultimate spiritual reason of why all this is happening is he is setting things in motion, trying to attack the family, destroy marriages, destroy families, destroy generations and generational teaching and thought. He is out to kill what God has created and anointed. That's what he's out. He's still kill and destroy. That's his whole purpose and mission in life. Now, she says, I've not been intimate with him. I've had no intimate relationship with him. How can something be produced? And the angel answered and said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now, what happened with Mary is what happens with us at the point of salvation that we acknowledge him as our savior. We receive him into our heart. We allow him to come into our lives and begin to change us. Something is implanted into us that then produces a result. That result that's produced is supposed to be life change, attitude change, outlook change. You know, we're supposed to begin to change a lot about our stuff because we are in a fallen state. People don't realize that, that you're born into sin because of the sin nature that is what? Remember the blood? Remember he said, I've not known him. It's the bloodline. See, the blood of the mother and the baby never mix. This is still true today. When a mother gets pregnant and has a baby, the mom's blood and the baby's blood never mix. As a matter of fact, in the few studies where the mom's blood and the baby's blood has mixed, the mother's blood sees it as a enemy and attacks it. 
And there's a reason why God designed it to never mix. The DNA or the baby's blood is determined from the, the seed of the father is where that comes from, right? So when the Holy Spirit came and said, I'm going to have you know, filling Mary and she's going to conceive a son. We know the seed of that was no longer from the seed of man where the sin came from, but the seed of God, which never mingled with the mother, therefore producing a pure bloodline that knew no sin. Because it wasn't from the bloodline of man, it was from the bloodline of God. That's important. So we know he's from the house of David which puts us into the man part. And we know it's from the bloodline of God, which puts us the God part, giving us the perfect person, perfect, perfect savior to die on a cross for our sins, to join man and God together. But when you have that point of salvation, when you get and you realize, I need Jesus, I accept this, that is now knowing him and a transformation happens because something is growing on the inside of you. Okay? Jesus became uniquely qualified to be our sacrifice because his blood paid the ultimate price, right? Blood paid the ultimate price. Now, we know and we celebrate Christmas by giving of gifts, and we've taught our kids this for a long time, but uh, on your birthday, you get gifts, right? On my birthday, I get gifts. On Jesus' birthday, everyone gets gifts because he is called the gift. It says this, Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, which is Jesus, is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. He is a gift. He was the gift from God to us to pave a way for salvation and to spend eternity in heaven with him, and he is a gift. We give gifts to others in symbolic reference to the gift of Jesus that we have to offer to others. That's the gift exchange. That's in my heart, I don't care what the world has to say or their traditions. When I'm giving gifts to somebody, it's the same as me saying, I also have the ultimate gift that can change your life. Let me share that with you too, which is more important than anything I can buy or make or bake or anything. The ultimate gift, which is Jesus, is the gift that will transform you from the inside out, where I can give gifts to the natural man and that can bless the natural man. I have a spiritual gift that can change your spirit man, right? In 1 Peter 1.22, it says, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth, how do you purify your souls? Obey the truth. Who is the truth? The God, Father, God, Son, God, Holy Spirit, right? He is the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. Now, since you have purified your souls by obeying Jesus through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, how do we purify our souls? Obey Jesus in the Spirit while loving other people. That purifies us, Okay. Love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, right? That's the seed of man, but of the incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Jesus was the gift, the incorruptible seed, the perfect way back into heaven. But see, if you can't believe in the immaculate conception of Jesus, of, of Jesus through Mary, can you even believe in salvation? Because it's the same transformation that power that happened in her that produced our Savior that happens in us that produces salvation. Can you even call yourself a Christian without believing in Mary? See, what truth do we choose to believe? Now, do we believe the truth of salvation? Let's go to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. We're not going to be here long today. Got a little bit more to share with you, but it's Christmas. We want to get out and spend time with each other and have fun and celebrate Jesus' birth. 
the truth of salvation. What is the truth of salvation? John 3, 1, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. He was a ruler of the Jews. In other words, he was a teacher in their synagogue. He was there, the pastor in the Jewish synagogue, okay? And this man came to Jesus by night. Now, what do we know about Jesus? It's interesting. He came to him by night. Remember that. We'll come back to it. And said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher, which means master or teacher with proven authority. In other words, we know that you are a person because we've seen the results of your teaching, right? We've seen you teach and we've seen the power come from it. We've seen the miracles. The teaching was proven by the authority that was behind it. That's what that word teacher means. Proven. Proven master because of the results, okay? We've seen that you are a teacher come from God for no one else can do these signs that you do unless God is in him. Okay. Jesus answered and said, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he can't even see the kingdom of God. See, until you've gone through the transformation process like Mary did, and you have that one with God, where you recognize Jesus is my Savior, I accept his atonement, I, I confess him with my mouth, I believe it in my heart, I've now known him, and that gives you access to see into the kingdom and recognize there's a different way. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born again when he is old? Can he not enter into his mother's womb a second time to be born? He didn't understand. He was trying to understand a spiritual principle in a fleshly manner instead of a spiritual principle in a spiritual manner. Jesus answered and said, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born, which means brought forth or conceived of water and the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. For that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Jesus is describing here the transforming power of God that happens at salvation, that then begin, your spirit man gets reborn again into the kingdom and becomes alive unto him and becomes, becomes to know him, be one with him. That's a direct intimacy of that relationship with the Father, is your spirit man being born in the spirit. Verse 7 says, Do not marvel that I say to you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of the wind, and you cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes, so it is anyone who is born of the Spirit. In other words, just because you can't see what's moving something doesn't mean that it's there. Just because you can't see your spirit man being recreated and changed at salvation doesn't mean that it's not happening because you see the results of it. In other words, when we have that one with, with God, when we know Him, when salvation is real, in our life, others should see the effects of that salvation in our life. They should see the change that is happening in us. Even though they don't see the wind blowing, in other words, they don't see the spirit recreating and moving, they see the effects of it. Do other people see your salvation through your actions, through your words, through what you do, through how you treat them? Do they see it? Do you show them the salvation through that, right? Now, in verse 9, Nicodemus answered and said, how can these things be? He's just like, I don't quite get this. And Jesus answered him and said, aren't you a teacher in Israel and you don't even know these things? In other words, he said, I showed you all of this in the Old Testament and this was prophesied to come. Aren't you the one that's supposed to know the Old Testament, supposed to know the prophecies, supposed to recognize what's happening? And yet you've read this, but you do not know this. In other words, he's revealing to Nicodemus that even though you have studied the word, you have no relationship with the Father. How many people do we know like that? 
How many Christians do we know like that? Unfortunately, how many pastors do we know like that? That can quote the word, but have no relationship with the one who wrote the word. Therefore, there is nothing there. But see, it says in verse 11, most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify of what we've seen and do you do not receive our witness. In other words, I've known the Father, I have the relationship with the Father and it is coming out as evidence in my life and you're still not listening to the witness of the evidence of the results that the Father is doing in my life. He says in verse 12, if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how you believe heavenly things? In other words, if I told you things that you do understand in the Old Testament, how are you even supposed to believe spiritual things? If you can't believe in the salvation and the infilling of the Holy Spirit, how can you believe and teach heavenly principles that are in your life? It says in verse 13, no one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, which is the son of man who is in heaven. In other words, none of you all been in heaven, but I have. Wouldn't you listen to the person that's been in heaven to teach you about heavenly principles, right? I've never been to a Tampa Bay Buccaneers game. Have you been to a Tampa Bay? You've not been to, neither, none of us have. If we want to know what it's like to be in the stadium, when we want to talk to somebody who's been to the stadium, you've been to the stadium? Yeah. Brock's been to the stadium. He could tell us, well, when you go to the stadium, if you check this out, how many times has it been where you've had a situation or something that you've wanted to do or a place you wanted to go and someone gave you the inside track and you're like, oh, it's so much better because someone who has gone before me showed me you're going to miss out on this, this, and this if you don't get there at this time and you want to show up and you have this inside information, right? Because you know somebody. Someone who's been there before you. And Jesus is saying, you want to know things about things of heaven, but you're not listening to the person that's actually been to heaven, who's trying to tell you about things of heaven that you can't even comprehend. I can pull up a picture of the stadium that the Buccaneers play in in my head, but what is it really? A picture of other stadiums that I visited, trying to imagine what this one might look like based on other things that I've been to that were similar but not really close. And how many people did that throughout the New Testament that they have a semblance, they know the picture of the Old Testament, they see some semblances of things that God tried to set up but man really changed and try to understand how God really wants it set up in the kingdom. Now, whoever believes in him, I'm sorry, jump back. Uh, No one has ascended to heaven but who came down from heaven. This is verse 13. Verse 14, and Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, even so must the son of man be lifted up. He's prophesying himself being on the cross that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. He's showing him, I want to teach you, right? And he says, go back to verse 13, anyone who has ascended to heaven, but come down from heaven, the son of man. In other words, I've been in heaven. I know how this is supposed to be. Let me show you. If you believe in him, you will not perish, but you'll have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave. We should so love the world that we give people the gift of salvation. Do you not love someone enough to give them this gift? Do you not love someone enough to give the gifts that are on the inside of you? I dare to say, where did those gifts come from? We did, the gift of Jesus came from heaven, right? It's not even mine. So who am I to say I have control over who gets this gift and who doesn't get this gift? You know, same with the gift of preaching and teaching and leading worship and, and all of the gifts of them are supposed to operate in the church. They're not ours. They came from heaven. And if we think I'm the one that's going to control when I get up and preach and when I teach and what I say, then we are wrong because they were never ours in the first place. It is not my gift to give, but my gift to give from him to you as a direct responsibility of what was given to me. That's the problem. There's so much selfishness in this world of thinking I have control over this as this is my gift. You know what? This teaching gift, standing in front of you preaching a teaching, is not mine. Not mine. 
not my own. And I can prove to you, I, I, I somewhere, I, that's long gone, and I think it's lost. I used to have a cassette recording of the very first sermon that I ever preached when I was in college. It was bad. Because <laughs> I didn't quite understand what my calling meant, which is not wrong. I was learning, right? But what did I understand, right? It's, it's like me trying to tell you about the Buccaneer Stadium without ever having been there. I didn't understand the gift. I didn't have the knowing of the Father when it came to revelation of my teaching gift at that point. I was still just re- realizing, I know I'm supposed to do something, but I'm not quite sure all of it. I just, I got to take a step. I got to do something, right? So it was me trying to mimic, which was a combination of other preachers that I had heard. I've seen this gift in action and a blend of comedians. If you remember that Carrot Top was real popular back in the day and Gallagher, remember Gallagher who used to smash pumpkins and smash fruit and like the whole first three rows would have plastic and it was a whole comic scene, right? My first sermon was a combination of every preacher I'd ever heard and those two comedians. I kid you not, I did a sermon on don't be lukewarm or God will spew you out of his mouth and I had a bag that I had made that looked like puke. I put random food and poured stuff in it, shook it all up and had a visual representation of puke for my sermon, right? And then we were, I was in youth ministry at Rayma. I was learning how to be a youth pastor at the time and they were telling us about tension spans are growing. This was in the 90s, you know? And I had brought a super soaker and had it hidden in the pulpit and halfway through my sermon, and these are other people at Rama. This was at Rama, and they were recording it. This was my, it was called a lab class where you're supposed to get up and preach to your classmates. And I pulled out my super soaker water gun to squirt people to imitate the fact that teenagers might try to sleep and I'm going to get their attention with something. It was the worst, it was the worst sermon, right? It's so, I was, I was trying everything. I was trying everything. But, but here's the thing. If you want to operate in your gift, then you have to know the one who gave the gift. And at that time, I didn't quite understand what knowing meant. And the more you know him, the more you know your gift and what it's called for, what it's supposed to be used for. You begin to hone that gift, right? If you have a problem sharing salvation with someone else, then you don't know your salvation well enough. How well do you know your salvation? Because the more you know it, the more you have that relationship with him, the more intimacy that's with the Father, the more you are compelled to share that gift of salvation and understand what it really means. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He is showing us the path to eternal life, right? Now, you remember all the way back in the beginning of the story when Nicodemus came to him at night? Because he wasn't wanting everyone else in his circle to know what he was doing. Right? Jesus touches on this. Now, I do want to change. I'm going to jump to the Passion Translation. For, I've been using New King James. But let's go to verse 17. But I'm going to switch to the Passion Translation. He said, God did not send his son into the world to judge and condemn the world. You know, Jesus wasn't saved to, sent to judge us and condemn us. He was sent to be a savior. He was sent to pull us out of situations. People don't turn to God in problems in their life 
because they think God is going to look at them and judge them for the mistakes and the pit they've put themselves in instead of recognizing God does not show up to judge where you are but to pull you out of it. Let me say that again. People don't turn to God when they're in their mess. You need to hear this. They don't turn to God when they're in their mess because they're not wanting judgment and condemnation like other people give to them. That's usually what people's response is. God's response is, I want to get you out of that. So if that's God's response to people, shouldn't that be our response to people? We're not called to judge and condemn people. We are called to call sin, sin. But we're not called to judge and condemn them. We're called to reach in with the gift of salvation and rescue them from that pit and not leave them there in it. Now, verse 18, so now there is no longer any condemnation to those who believe in him, but the believer already lives under condemnation because they do not believe in the name of the God's beloved son. If you choose to be a believer, but not believe in the name of Jesus, you're gonna live under condemnation is what it's saying. Verse 19, and here is the basis for their judgment. This is talking about the world when it says their judgment. This is the world. The light of God, right, which we know Jesus is the light of the world, right, has now come into the world, but the hearts of the people love their darkness more than the light because they want the darkness to conceal their evil. Now, that word evil means several different things. It, all, it means wrongdoings current things are doing wrong, past mistakes that they've made, situations and problems. This is an all-encompassing word evil. It actually means a variety of different things, but it's the situation that they want to not be brought to light because they're concerned if it's brought to light in the word of Jesus that the world is going to treat them differently because Christians have not understood their calling to be rescuers from sin instead of judgers of sin. How much better is it to tell somebody, Jesus wants you out of this problem, not you're going to hell because you're in a problem? What did Jesus do? What did God do? Aren't we supposed to do what the Father did? He says, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever, and I'm not going to change. So if he's not going to change at the point of salvation, he's not going to change in 2023. He's not going to tell us to go out and condemn people and tell them they're going to hell. He's going to tell us to go out and take the gift that was given to us and give it as a gift to them to pull them from that problem, not judge them for being in it in the first place. Half the time, it's not even their fault. They're following the path of this world, stuck in this whirlwind of problems, having no idea how to get out because no one bothered to share the gift. They just shared judgment and condemnation. People choose to live in ignorance because they're ashamed of their sin or they want to cover their sin or even where some people know they're in sin, know they're doing wrong and they're trying to keep it in darkness so you don't know about it, right? They know they're in sin, they know they're doing wrong so they just keep it in Washington so the world doesn't know about it. Now, when the wicked hate the light, they try to hide from it for their lives are fully exposed in the light. But those who love the truth Say, I love the truth, and the truth will set me free. They come into the light. They welcome its exposure, for the light will reveal that their fruitful works were produced by God. The light shows us what is fruit produced by God and what is something that needs to stay in that pit and be let go of forever because it's holding us back. The only way to allow the transformation power of God to work in your life beyond salvation is to get 
more light. The entrance of thy words bring light. Is what it says. The entrance of thy words bring light. The entrance of Jesus brings light. Jesus is the word who became flesh, right? This is all tied together. There's a reason it was all written that way. When, Jesus, when all the way into Genesis 1, when God spoke and there was light, the entrance of his words brought light. Yeah. Jesus is the light and the light unto men. So here's my challenge to you, and we're going to finish with this. What areas of your life are you allowing to stay in darkness because you feel ashamed if it comes forward you're going to be condemned for it instead of Jesus saying, I want to pull you out of it. See, we are only allowing light in certain areas. There's, there's some areas of our life we can choose to leave in darkness. There's some areas of our life we can choose to not surrender to Jesus. We have some areas of our life we can hide. Hiding, darkness, covering, that's all ways of this world and ways of the devil. Jesus says, bring it into the light. Don't put your light under a basket. Put it on a hill so that all man can see. What did John Wesley say? I want to be, set myself ablaze so that the whole world can come watch me burn. I want to be so full of Jesus that I said my whole life is ablaze so the, the world can watch me burn. So what areas of your life do you need the salvation power of the light to rescue you from where you're in? No one wants to judge where you are. Anytime, and this is how I've tried to be, and I'm sure I'm not perfect and I might have made some mistakes in my life, but anytime someone's come to me and say, but Pastor Paul, you don't know what I've done. I usually look at them and say, I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you are. All I care about is where you're going. Yes, you've made mistakes. And honestly, most of the time, I don't even want to hear about them because the mistakes are irrelevant. The sin is irrelevant. The problems are irrelevant. They're the past. What's relevant and what God wants to see is your freedom. You're, you're pulled out of that situation into the light. And then he, what he wants to see is so much light, so much transformation, so much renewing of our salvation that we recognize this is a gift that is not just for me. I have to share this with other people. I have to share this with them. But if you don't share it in the way that Jesus told you to, the world will see you as judgment and condemnation, which is why we have so many Christians that have gone to church, right? So many Christians that have gone to church and been judged by man instead of loved by God and loved by man and have been repulsed by the church because the church is not a reflection of our Savior. It is a reflection of our own insecurities, our own problems, and we choose to judge others to make us feel better. When someone comes to the altar or comes to Jesus as a dirty tapestry and the word is beating it out and the light is coming in, instead of saying, oh, look at that cloud of dust and the dirt on the floor, we should say, look at the clean tapestry left behind. Look at the beautiful woven light and life that God has put in their life. The path that they have walked that ultimately led them to Jesus. That should be our major concern. When you're giving gifts this holiday season or this birthday season, right? know that is a representation of I am showing you natural love because I know that I was shown love by the Father. Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you for the gift of your Son, the light in our life. Father, we want more light. We want more relationship with you. We want more of you, Father. We want more of you. Thank you for this gift. Thank you, Father, for your Son. In Jesus' name. Before we go, we have a few candles. We're going to sing Silent Night. And then at the end, Miss Tiffany and I want to speak a blessing over your life for the year to come.
Father, Tiff and I come before you this morning and we thank you for this congregation that you've placed here. Father, I thank you for 2024 to be a year of blessing and prosperity, Father, for new beginnings and new adventures as far and also healings from the past, Father, growth in our life as we draw closer to you. Father, I thank you that everything we set our hand to do will prosper. I thank you for the growth of this church. Father, you will lead us in the path of sinners so that we can share the gift that is salvation with them. Father, and invite them to come grow with us and learn with us as a church. Father, I thank you for this place and that it be full and prosperous and reaching the community of Pensacola. Father, thank you for the people that are here and have been faithful to give this entire year. I thank you for an extra special blessing this holiday season, something they've been asking you for, Father, that is a desire of their heart, that you will grant unto them for their faithfulness to this place. Father, thank you for your son and the gift of your son and for the ability to come together and worship him in freedom and spirit and truth. Father, thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Hi, this is Pastor Paul, and I wanted to thank you personally for joining us today. Now, if you enjoyed today's podcast, there are a few things you can do that will help us out. Hit the subscribe button and rate and review our podcasts. If you would like to invest in helping us reach more people for Christ, head over to livingwordpensacola.com and click on the online giving button. Thanks again for joining us today. Now go out and tell somebody about the love of Jesus.